She's controlled chaos. She doesn't believe in the past in a way that it restricts you. She really thinks that you've got to be honest and brave and always put yourself out there and be ugly and vulnerable. And she lives her life that way. Those are words from actor Mark Ruffalo on Jane Campion directing her 2003 film, In the Cut. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer. And each week I invite a guest on to discuss the film and the artist's filmography. I'm your host, Felicia Maroney, and today we're talking about In the Cut. The quick synopsis of the film is New York City writing professor Franny Avery has an affair with a police detective who is investigating the murder of a beautiful young woman in her neighborhood. The film stars Meg Ryan as Franny Avery, Mark Ruffalo as Detective Malloy, Jennifer Jason Lee as Pauline, Nick Dimitri as Detective Rodriguez, Sharif Pugh as Cornelius Webb, and Kevin Bacon as John Graham. It's written by Jane Campion, Susanna Moore, and Stavros Kazanzidis. Cinematography by Dion Bibi. Directed by Jane Campion. Edited by Alexandre de Franceschi. And music by Hilmar Oren Hilmarsson. Today, my guest is Scott Cole. And I know Scott from the Scheiss International Film Club, actually, who's hosted by Nick. And Nick's been on the show before. Uh, this is Scott's first time. And before I get into introducing more about him, I just want to say, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. I've wanted to have you on for so long, so I'm so excited we're talking about In the Cut today. Thanks. I appreciate it. I have um, a confession, which is that I listen to your show, especially the Cassavetes episodes, and I did think about December of last year, maybe November, I was like, I'd be cool to be on that show, but I was too scared to ask. And then like oh, two weeks later, you asked me, I was like, I think I manifested that. I like the secreted that. Yeah, I made it happen <laughs> on my vision board. So thanks for having me. Oh my God, that's that's great to hear. I love that. <laughs> so it works out. I know you also write for Music City Drive-In. You do, I think it's a mix of music and film writing on there. It's actually, it's all movies. They just call it, okay. just because Nashville is considered Music City. I think that's just, just for the title, they call it Music City. But yeah, it's it's all film stuff. I haven't written from them in a minute because I'm actually in software development school right now. Mm, <laughs> so that's okay. taking up all my time. But uh, I hope to get back to it very soon. My last review is of Woody Harrelson's Champions. I'm like, I need to okay. do something to replace that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, listen, at least you've been doing some writing that's more than most. So I highly recommend people check that out. But I'm curious to know... You, you know, your kind of journey with cinema. I know you, we follow each other on Letterboxd along with being in the film club too. And you watch a lot of films. And do you recall when you first started watching films in more of a serious way where you started seeking out like older films or films from other regions around the world? For me, uh, the big way in there was Siskel and Ebert. I was a mm -hmm. big Siskel and Ebert fan. Like I would, it came on here like 11 or 12 30 in the, in the morning on sunday so i would record it and watch it the next day mm. but i really got into them and they would bring on I mean, of course they covered like the big movies but they would also cover small independent movies foreign films and they would have like segments on older movies but really the stuff that i, I would say probably when i was in my when i was around 13 or 14 i started wanting to seek out indie movies that they had talked about they were only playing at one theater kind of across town and sometimes i would talk my parents into taking me Mm -hmm. uh, over there to see those, but not all the time. But then when they would come out on video, I could rent, like they'd be the one, there'd be one copy of that one at Hollywood video. <laughs> and when there's yeah. like a million copies of Twister, they'd be like one. Of, yeah. uh, 
Um, <laughs> one of secrets and lies. That's good from that time period. But yeah, that was kind of it. Like, I, I would really credit them and like Roger Ebert's writing, particularly with getting me into film in a more serious way. And then ever since then, I've those it's sort of shifted now. I almost prefer the more obscure movies than to the big blockbuster. Although blockbusters have changed a lot of what they are lately. So it's understandable to see, I think, a little mm-hmm. bit why I'm not as into them. But anyway, that's kind of how it went for me. That's cool. I, I knew that you liked uh, Siskel and Ebert, and I specifically wanted to read Ebert's review of this film, which we'll talk about. He was mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. biggest fan. <laughs> right. And I have an interesting quote that he mentioned about Meg Ryan's character in this. So we'll save it. But oh, Lord. <laughs> that that's I think that's a really good way. I remember watching some of their shows, too, and discovering some indie films that I, I found were really interesting that I probably wouldn't have heard of if they hadn't talked about it. So. They definitely were important. Yeah, it's like before that, they didn't really talk about that. kind. Of, like they really brought I'm, I just finished reading the book that Matt Singer wrote about their history, which is really interesting. Um, and it's like that's just the first time that stuff like that was even talked about on like, yeah. that a, a person who lived like in the Midwest didn't really have access to movies like that before Siskel and Eber would talk about them on their show. So it's kind of interesting. We always need that. In terms of Jane Campion, would you consider yourself a fan of her work or is this just like a one-off one that you really enjoy or do you like most of her films i i'm a fan i <laughs> i like most of everything i've seen by her. i would say i've seen maybe like five of them so there are a few mm-hmm. i'm missing that i need to see um i did watch holy smoke for this because i had not seen it and it's the first one i would say i was <laughs> not crazy about it's i i don't hate it i think it's interesting i think it's just a kind of a mess but uh that was the first one that, but I think from what I understand, it harkens back a little bit to some of her early movies, like especially the comedic style of like the first hour of it. So yeah. I don't have the reference for that. So I need to go back and watch her early films. The Piano was my first way in because my sister really liked that movie. She's a couple years older than me. And I watched it when I was like a like 13 or 14. And I remember loving it, but then I hadn't seen it in forever. And I watched it just like a month or two ago, finally again. Because I got the Criterion, yeah, it's and it's an incredible movie. It's uh, yeah, I was blown away by. It. I, I didn't remember that much of it because it, it had been such a long time. So it was almost like finding it again for the first time. And yeah. the Power of the Dog was like my favorite movie of a couple years ago. I think that's a masterpiece, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that movie. <laughs> no, there really isn't. Like that truly was. I I found that year to be a bit rough for film, at least for me. But that was like the standout. Yeah. I just remember people kept saying like, Benjamin Cumber, Benedict Cumberbatch is so miscast. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's the point. I would get so mad. Yeah. Like he's not supposed to be like the, a, yeah, he's playing a part in the movie. Like, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's very meta in that way. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I thought he was great. In it, yeah. So I totally agree. For In the Cut, though, do you recall the first time you watched it and like what your initial thoughts were on that first watch? When the movie first came out, I was perhaps too much of a disciple of critics in Ebert. And I remember he gave it a negative mm-hmm. review, as did a lot of critics, which now is crazy to me looking back at it. So I didn't really give them I didn't I didn't even see it back then. I just I think I just skipped it. I was like, oh, this probably isn't very good. And, but I finally watched it uh, maybe like three years ago because it was on Netflix, I think. And I was like, I never saw this. And I, I felt like I remember hearing some people say it's better than it got credit for being. So I watched it and I thought it was excellent. Like, I was really, really impressed by it, particularly like the tone of it. It's so specific and like the the cinematography and the way that 
just the tone mm-hmm. of like kind of dread and foreboding that's by the handheld like shaky camera work and the, the lighting and stuff it just mm-hmm. it's really specific and like you can tell a lot of work went into it and i was surprised it was dismissed the way it was but i think there were a lot of other reasons why which are stupid but yeah but i i really really was impressed by it and also specifically i thought meg ryan is i still think meg ryan is incredible in this movie oh yeah maybe the maybe the best meg ryan performance possibly i mean it's so good but yeah, so I, I first watched it a couple of years ago, then this was my second time, and I liked it still. I think it's really, I think it's excellent. Yeah, I think I also watched it for the first time maybe two or three years ago. Knowing about it and knowing that people had been harsh on it, and then having a couple of friends being like, no, you, you really have to watch it. Because when I was starting to get more into Campion's work, I was like, okay. I don't think I even knew originally that it was a Campion film. I just knew Meg Ryan was in it. And just the first time watching it, being shocked because it was so good, but also the contents of the, the film. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah. I uh, wasn't expecting any of this. Yeah. it's It reminds me of like, I can see why it was surprising to people. It, there's, there was mm-hmm. nothing coming out of Hollywood like this, really. Like in this way, there were movies with sexual content, but they're they're not treated the way this is. Like this reminds me more of like a foreign film or a French film. It's like, so yeah, it's, it's more thoughtful about sex and they actually talk about sex in this movie. And it's like, that just doesn't happen in Hollywood movies ever. So it's, I can see people like, Whoa, Whoa, what's this? Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Especially even in 2003 when this, this film did yeah. come out. Well, if you're ready, cause you actually just mentioned my first point. <laughs> so we might as well segue into the, the chat about the film. The one of the first points I wanted to talk about was kind of the concept of the erotic thriller. And what we've known about that genre and Campion's take on it. Prefacing the fact that this is based on a book, but the script is co-written by Campion and the the writer of the novel, Susanna Moore. When I think of erotic thrillers, you think of stuff like Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction, Body Double, all these male directors doing... Like I, I love all those movies. I think they're all great erotic thrillers and... But we have that vision of one. And then this one, it's an erotic thriller, but I don't know that it's a sexy erotic thriller versus the other ones. How do you feel about that genre? Are you a fan of that genre and the Jane Campion's take on it? Yeah. I So I like those movies too. I, I've always been I like a fan of like Fatal Attraction. Uh, I guess you would say specifically the Verhoeven stuff. Well, no, it's, I guess Basic Instinct is his only... I don't know. Oh, Joe Esterhaus, who I'm thinking of, because he wrote several of them, and he wrote mm. Basic Instinct. But um, yeah, Jagged Edge and all that stuff. They're always. Yeah. <laughs> I do have like a soft spot for those because they're nostalgic in a way because they're they just seem kind of old fashioned now. I would say like in those the uh, yeah the difference to me is like it feels like in all of those that are male directors, it's the sex is being used to spice up the murder aspect or to like get it. Yeah. Like, like basic instinct, like the whole thing is they're having sex, but you never know if she's going to kill him or not during sex. Like <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. sort of like a, oh, it's a way to like spice things up. And this one, it's almost like there's a murder mystery. And then there's also this weird side relationship where they seem in, in, like m- equal parts intrigued and irritated by each other, but they're also having pretty interesting sex together, but it doesn't really it's not correlated exactly to mm. the killing and the murder. The murder is almost ancillary to that at, at the points in the movie when they focus on the sexual content. If I could ask, did you watch the R-rated or the unrated version of this? Um, I don't know, actually. Well, 
I think so. I the first time I'm sure I watched the R rated because it was on Netflix, but I have the unrated. I didn't realize it, but in that first scene at the bar with the <laughs> with the blowjob at the bar, yeah, there's an extreme close up, and I was like, this okay. cannot be the R rated version. Yeah, I've seen that version then. <laughs> okay, okay. I was like, I know this wasn't in the R rated, but yeah, I was like, oh yeah, and then I checked my box and it said unrated. I was like, okay, all right, gotcha. Anyway, I was just curious which one because I, yeah, it took me by surprise. From I was like, oh, okay, wow, okay, this is unrated, yeah, yeah. Both times I watched that that version, I didn't realize they had censored it a bit in another version of it. I guess it makes sense. I did read that that when they do the close up bit, it's it's a prop, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they didn't they didn't go brown bunny version on this one. <laughs> they didn't make what Nick Demi- Nick Dimitri do a full frontal like a close up. <laughs> Not like that. Yeah, it is interesting what you said about um, the sex is kind of as a way to spice up the murders where these are kind of separate. Like she is intrigued to find out more because she's now really deep in the story because she thinks she saw the person who might have murdered the girl who died and her body was found basically outside of her apartment. So she's like, how am I being tied to this? But I don't think she's using sex as a way to get information that just happens to be. She's also getting information and she's having sex with the person who has, you know, who's leading the investigation. So it is interesting and it's an interesting take on the genre because, as you said, we really don't get those anymore. In the last couple of years, they've been trying to bring it back and it just seems to not succeed. I haven't really seen any of the new ones, but I haven't heard of any that have done really well. When I was reading about this one, Gone Girl comes up quite often. I hadn't thought of Gone Girl as an erotic thriller. I guess it kind of is. Maybe if you, depending on how you read it. I don't know that I would call it that myself, but I could see people comparing the two. Yeah, Gone Girl. I love David Fincher, but there's something Mm -hmm. that's so cold about David Fincher's aesthetic that to me, I can't imagine him making anything sexy. (laughs) Like, Yeah. Yeah. It just, it feels a little too yeah clinical cold to the touch i don't know i think yeah and i i guess again pours into like why it's this is interesting being from jane campion's perspective a female they just the fact that after they have sex they talk about it a little bit like it's interesting mm-hmm. to me that they like that's an interesting choice like she wants him to explain how he knows how to do what he did like just that whole storyline it's just stuff that i feel like would have been cut out of a lot of other movies here adds a lot to it and also the characters are kind of they're not the easiest characters to get. They're kind of, they're not difficult. Well, I don't want to say difficult because that sounds like a try to say Macron's character is difficult, but she's mm-hmm. it, she's just not overly friendly. She's kind of standoffish and it takes work to like get into her sort of like as far as her headspace, which I think is great. But I can yeah. see at the time probably that had a lot to do with what people were like, well, they're not making it easy for me to like the protagonist. So what, you know, all that bullshit, but but anyway, I think that's an interesting way to learn more about her character and his is the way that they use sex in that way. I just love the way they the characters are written because they seem very honest. Like, I feel like yeah. you may not relate to them. It's weird because I think when people are watching movies, they expect characters to be a certain way, but not too, too real. And when they are super real, they're like, oh, well, I wasn't expecting that. And I can't relate to that, despite the fact that you probably know someone who's exactly like this person. That's true. They're both like re- they're so realistic and they they don't lie to each other. Except the problem mm. is she thinks he's all lies. <laughs> she thinks he's totally bullshitting her the whole time and he's actually not. So it's yeah, it's an interesting like push and pull there. As you've mentioned and I totally agree and I think the the film is getting 
I don't know if it's been fully reevaluated yet by audiences, but it's getting there. I've been seeing more screening of it happen around and just more people talking about it. But when people do talk about it, it's always about Meg Ryan's performance. And it is great, especially if you've seen Megan, Meg Ryan in any other film. And then you see this one. She just looks different. She looks like a stripped down, probably just regular version of herself. And she, as you said, is very standoffish in this. And she seems very aloof. And you're wondering why is she putting herself in this situation? What's the deal with her? And I love that. And before we even get into her performance, originally this was supposed to be Nicole Kidman's role. Because her and Campion are good friends. They've worked together before. But it happens to be that she was <laughs> divorcing Tom Cruise at the time. And she was like, this is going to be too much for me. Which <laughs> is totally fair. Yeah. So she she just she's a producer on the film, but the role went to Meg Ryan, and I thought that that's super interesting casting, and I think that Meg Ryan really got a bad rap with that because mm-hmm. I don't know that her career even really kind of recovered after it, which is really unfortunate. How do you feel about just um, the casting of Meg Ryan and what she does in this role? I I agree that she got a bad rap because yeah, it kind of did almost destroy her career in a way which is really annoying because she's really good at romantic comedies so therefore she has to do that the rest of her life like she was penalized almost for making a choice and doing like with a great direct like a renowned director it's not like she was i mean she probably felt like she was in safe hands because yeah campion obviously knows what she's doing and she's a great director but of course they turned like everything turned on her but i thought it was great casting i actually i have trouble picturing nicole kidman in this like i think that there's something about Meg Ryan that's very believable in this movie, especially as a teacher to me, like an English teacher. She just really is convincing in that part. I like the running thing about the poetry on the subway. Mm-hmm. I like how it looks like a real subway. But uh, yeah, like I like how it feels like it's real New York. But anyway, there is a one side thing is uh, there's a shot when they're driving down Chinatown and there's like a shot of the car going down. And uh, I saw the restaurant I went to when I visited last, last May. Oh, yeah. So there's Wohop. Yeah, it was the restaurant I went to in <laughs> Chinatown, so I was excited. But anyway, it feels like real New York, but I think she brings a lot to the role because she doesn't make everything clear. There's a lot obviously mm-hmm. going on. She's doing a lot of character work, I feel like. Even the way she reacts to things, like I feel like when you watch the scene where she comes in, this is skipping way ahead, but when she comes into okay. her sister's apartment and finds something going on there, uh, mm-hmm. something bad, I think the way she reacts to that on her face is just so... There's there's just so much in her face that I'm just like I I'm sure Nicole Kidman would have been fine I, probably great I just I, I have trouble seeing it for some reason I don't know why but probably because Meg Ryan does such a good job I guess that's a testament to her exactly I, I do like the way she reacts to things and I like the relationship she has with the people in the films but especially Jennifer Jason Lee who plays her sister Pauline yeah. when you see the two of them when they first uh, meet on screen and they're walking down the street talking like. I would just assume they're sisters. Mm-hmm. They just have such a great rapport together. And Jennifer Jason Lee is very much the type who would be in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like you don't question her the way people would have questioned Meg Ryan. You're like, yeah, this right. is this is very much Jennifer Jason Lee. And she's great in this movie too. What I noticed is the way the two women were shot because she's not trying to make them look unflattering, but she's not trying to make them look more attractive than their characters are supposed to be because there's certain clothing that they're wearing and certain ways that that they're shot that just seems so real and you're like oh they just seem like regular women on Mm -hmm. the street walking around as opposed to movie stars in this role and i really appreciate that i always talk about to people i'm like i don't know when it was 
Like it must have been like late nineties, early two thousands where actors were no longer allowed to just look like human beings. <laughs> like they just were not allowed to look ugly at any point. Unless it was like calling for this big Oscar role where they're supposed to be ugly. But now just everyone looks like cut out versions <laughs> of, you know, models and so on. So Yeah. Well it is interesting. Like they have um I, that is kind of a cute scene when she's sitting there talking to her and she's like are you gonna go out with that detective and she's like i don't know and she goes do you want to borrow something cute to wear and she's like yeah will you come with me like they're like go through the closet mm-hmm. it's just like that sisterly relationship feels very real um yeah. i read that meg i read that meg ryan said that they like gave each other gifts in real life like as the characters to try to like mm-hmm. the relationship like character gifts they thought the characters would give each other it just comes across like you you like you say you do feel like they're sisters um mm-hmm. jennifer jason lee as you said like she would not have gotten flack for being in this movie because she'd been in a lot of she made riskier projects not even risky because meg ryan had done like people forget she did like when a man loves a woman like she's done hard drama before it's just what people know her as is to her detriment somehow being like with tom hanks in a romantic comedy you know that sort of thing but but i agree with you they look like real people and i think a lot of that also i keep bringing up the lighting but the way the movie is like lit and shot is very realistic like even the way kevin bacon looks in it is which (laughs) is a crazy uncredited cameo who's great i think he's great in it but yeah he just looks very like you almost don't recognize it's him at first he's very stripped down and he's in scrubs yeah that sort of thing so kevin bacon actually yeah let's talk about him for a sec because so creepy first came on screen i was like wait a minute is that kevin bacon did not know he was in this movie and he's so chaotic Mm -hmm. like pure chaos He's walking around with that little dog and he's just like pacing back and forth and like stalking her. And then when he has that freak out where she's like, yeah, I don't think we should see each other. And she handles it so well. Her character handles it so well where she's just like, okay. And that just shows that this is a woman who's used to men kind of blowing up on her. And she's like, okay, this is just another one. I know how to handle this. And it's kind of sad that she's so used to it. But that's a great performance by him. I didn't fully realize that it was uncredited until on this watch. I'm wondering why I couldn't find any information on why it was uncredited because he's had in a few scenes. So yeah. it wasn't just like a quick flash of Kevin Bacon. So I don't know, maybe he did it as a favor. Maybe uh, you would think that he'd want to be credited in a campion movie, but no, yeah, I, mean, that's what I would think so. But it's like, maybe they were trying to go for an element of surprise there. Cause it is kind of a shock when you realize who it is, but yeah, I agree though, that when he screams at her on the street in that scene, like, that's a good scene where her reaction is interesting because like she's wearing mm-hmm. her sunglasses because she has the black eye. But like yeah. you can tell it bothers her, but she's like trying to keep a lid on it. She's just like, like you said, just like get through this. Just well, let's just get through it. Meanwhile, he's threatening to like put his dog down. He's doing all these crazy tricks to try to get power. And it's just, yeah, it's it's awful. It really is. Before I move on, because I do want to talk about the cinematography as well because I think it's really beautiful and very interesting for this story. But I did want to just mention a very quick quote that Roger Ebert said about Franny. (laughs) And he said that she basically droops around as if she's on hog tranquilizers the whole time. (laughs) He was complaining about her reactions to everything. He's like, why is she just like, seem like she doesn't care about anything? And she's just prancing around super slowly. (laughs) just like moving very slowly around the rooms and it's like because she's got a lot going on mm-hmm. in her life she's thinking i think that she's a very she's very much a thinker and you see that even when she's just looking around her small apartment where she slowly walks around she's looking at her fridge and she's looking at pictures and she's just taking things in it's a quick enough movie i don't 
I don't remember how long it is. It feels quick to me, but she's not moving as though this is a quick paced uh, lifestyle for her. Yeah. Despite the fact that she does live somewhat of a chaotic life. Yeah. Yeah. He really hated her character. I mean, that's interesting because so that kind of ties in with something. A big point I kept thinking about was the pace of it is like it is kind of meandering in a way like it's not not boring or not like I don't think she acts like she's on tranquilizers. I think she's just like you said, reacting to things with a well while thinking some of the stuff happens later in the movie. She's reacting to almost like real time trauma. Like things yeah. are happening to her in the moment and she's trying to process them and it's too much. I feel like the movie is it is a thriller about a murderer, but it mm-hmm. to compare it to something like seven or copycat or something is, is wrong because yeah. those have such a quick pace to them. And it's only about the murderer. Like this one feels like there's a murder, but also there's life going on. And that life takes the time that life takes and mm-hmm. that you, that's going to happen too. So you just, you know, obviously it it's not, yeah, it doesn't feel like a driven like bullet train going through the murder story at all. But I like that part of it. So yeah, but he was a little, he was a little rough there on her. I feel like she's, I, I, to be honest, I did not eat. I mean, I noticed the pace of the movie is a little, I can't even do the right word, but because every word I'm thinking of sounds bad. I don't mean lethargic as a bad word. I just no, mean yeah, it takes its time. Mean, yeah. yeah, but but like I did not notice anything in her performance where I felt like she was being weird or not um, not reactive enough. Or, I feel like he's just seen, each bird had just seen too many movies by that point. He knew the conventions yeah. of every movie. Everybody's got to scream every time something happens in the moment. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just too much. <laughs> I, I'm sorry he wrote that. <laughs> I feel defensive about Ebert. <laughs> I I kind of viewed it her reactions kind of just being like this is someone who lives in New York she's seen a lot of shit she's been through a lot of shit so she's not going to overreact to anything because this is like just another day in her life yeah <laughs> so for her to just be out of character and be dramatic about it would seem off-putting so I think it's a good choice but the cinematography in the film which we've mentioned before there is kind of that orange kind of yellow and reds that come out a lot and the shaky camera that we get of those early 2000s films which i think is very much of its time but it works for Mm -hmm. this because the story calls for that but the the coloring of it i was reading on senses of cinema uh the writer was talking about how it looks like it's kind of being shot through like a rose tinted glass and there's that dewy look to it. And I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking. I didn't have the words for it. So I will credit this person in the show yeah. notes for that. But I thought that was really interesting because we open up with the Kesara Sara song as the credits are rolling. And it's the kind of shots of New York and people walking around with that filtering and uh, the coloring. And when you finally meet Franny and Pauline and you get those flashbacks of their parents, the story that they tell they kind of have this very childlike demeanor. And I think the coloring mirrors that because as much as they are living hard enough lives, I think there's an innocence to them where they're really just, as most people are, just trying to find love and happiness. And I think that reflects really well with the coloring. So how do you feel about the fact that that choice, because it's very much a distinct choice to make the film look this this way. Yeah, that is interesting that they said that thing about the because I was thinking in my head when I was watching it, it reminded me of like church stained glass in church. Mm-hmm. Sort of like if you were looking through a yellow piece of stained glass, it kind of has that like it's all. Yeah, it's very yellow. Most of its lighting like come like just piercing light coming in through a window. 
just strips of light, like nothing consistent. That isn't, I, I like that choice. I feel like it gives the movie a sense of unease and it makes it yeah. feel like kind of a dirty, grimy New York that I feel like movies don't sometimes capture some, like it, it just feels real in a way that, um, yeah, sometimes movies when they show New York show it like I for some reason I keep me of Home Alone too. Uh, <laughs> it's like idealized New York, perfect Plaza Hotel. Like we're like, yeah, we're down and like down and dirty here in New York a little bit. Uh, I think, but yeah, I think that those choices are good. The shaky cam stuff, I feel like it's not overused, but it's used enough where it is sort of unsettling. And you're like, you're trying to get your bearings. When you mentioned that it's of the time, I do have to bring up that Jane Campion was uh, a little bit of a victim of falling prey to. Uh, font and typeface of the time yeah. um holy smoke unbelievable the, like the matrix style titles and that and this one it's that weird kind of like papyrus you yeah know. i know but i was it just it made me feel nostalgic though i was like yes i remember people were using this all the time back then this was like my font on aol instant messenger but uh <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah i think that the way it's shot does goes a long way to establishing the mood and the tone, which is appropriately upsetting. <laughs> Very much. I had forgotten about the font in this one <laughs> because every time or the last two times watching it, I'm always like, oh, yeah, remember that? And we used to do that. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why, like why we stopped doing that or even just different color font. Yeah, it's kind of nice in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a chance people wouldn't take anymore. Now, hopefully, I don't know, maybe there'll be a new resurgence of younger <laughs> generation who's like, oh, I'm nostalgic for early 2000s cinema yeah <laughs> holy smoke though i i noticed that very much oh, I, like, I gasped yeah. i gasped yeah. when i saw it i was like oh my god <laughs> like green that yeah. green matrix text i was shocked i was like wow okay <laughs> time capsule for sure <laughs> but in terms of the the cinematography i guess it's as you said it does mirror how unsettling the film is because i feel like there are a few times where you start to feel a bit comfortable you know, when she's talking to her sister or even when she's teaching, you get a very brief scenes where she's teaching or she's just walking around where you're like, OK, I'm starting to settle in. But then something happens where you're like, no, nope, you're not supposed to be settled. You're not supposed to feel comfortable right now. And I like just that choice of making the film look that way because yeah. I don't know how much it, it, it still would have worked if it was just shot regularly. But I think it was the right choice to make it look this way. It adds a lot. Yeah, I feel like it does. This is a film that and story of the book, uh, you know, it's essentially in multiple different ways, more overt and more you know, behind the scenes about the violence on women. And we see that happen primarily to Franny in different ways from different people. And then we'll get into it as we talk about this section what happens to pauline but in terms of franny she's essentially has like four different men that we see who are aggressive towards her malloy played by mark ruffalo is aggressive in a way where you're not sure what the deal is because you don't trust him the same way that franny doesn't like at least i didn't i was like this man is definitely lying like he's done yeah. something where I'm like, I don't trust him. And he plays it that way where you're not supposed to believe a single word he's saying. They do have a relationship, but he's still aggressive in a certain way towards her. We've got her student who she's tutoring on the side as well. And they have a great relationship and he is aggressive towards her 
verbally just in a playful way at first, but then there's a scene where he does eventually visit her at her apartment and he does get more physically violent. That was that scene was really unfortunate to me because I remember the first time being like, oh man, I really wish it hadn't gone that way with that character. But yeah. you kind of see it at the beginning. And then there's also Rodriguez, Malloy's partner, and his just verbal aggression towards her when they first meet at the bar. And then as you see later on, then we've talked about Kevin Bacon's character, John Graham, and his his aggression. So this is a woman who's got a lot going on and a lot of men treating her badly in different ways. And she's holding her own, but it's a lot for her. How do you feel about that? Do you find that it's a bit overkill? Do you find it gratuitous? Or do you think that this is like a realistic portrayal of how these men would actually treat a woman? I do agree with you that I, I don't think the Cornelius part adds much to the movie. I, I wish that maybe hadn't been there. Although I will say that I do think the way she grieves, so she has nowhere to go. <laughs> the mm-hmm. guy, whoever mugged her, has her apartment information. Then Pauline, she's staying with Pauline. Whatever happens to Pauline happens there. So she has nowhere to go. So she just goes home and gets hammered. I mean, that felt realistic to me in a way. Like if you were just out of options, you were scared, you were that sad. She just goes home and gets drunk. I mean, (laughs) just to forget about everything. I was like, that actually sounds I mean, it just felt like how a real person might handle it if they were like out of options. The the thing about Ruffalo's character is interesting is like he's yeah, he is trying to it's like he's always trying to keep her on her toes. Like when they're in the Mm -hmm. bar talking, he's talking normally to her. And then I can't remember what her line is. But at one point he switches and he's like, listen, lady, like and says something like he just switches. He he like can switch on a dime and try to like antagonize her. And she looks so thrown by it, but she's intrigued by it. It's it's weird. But but I also think they overdo the cop banter between him and Rodriguez. Like it comes on so fast. The first they keep doing it like the just the Hey, what's up, man? Like get ribbing each other's stuff. It gets a little silly at times, but I also think there's a scene where she's in the classroom teaching. I think it's Cornelius is there. He's looking at her. He can see that mm-hmm. she's been hurt. And then you just have these cutaways to Mark Ruffalo wandering up and down the aisle going, Hey, what do you know about this Cornelius Webb? where's Franny Avery's room is this it like he's just being so loud and you're just like it's a little much like yeah I don't know like the ADR is out of control in that part but it is weird to think about how yes how aggressive they are towards her especially like in the scene even that first scene where Ruffalo comes to visit her she gets Mm -hmm. the phone call from Bacon on the machine and he's aggressive in that it's like she doesn't have any reprieve from that except for when she's with Pauline and you're Mm -hmm. right those scenes are like a a nice oasis here is like, thank God there's finally a, something yeah. they can talk about their lives, talk about everything, uh, be sisters together. But it is a lot. I don't, I didn't feel like it was overkill that there, but it is, it is a lot that there's all these guys are yeah. so aggressive. And, and then she get when she gets mugged or whatever, and that's, and then the cat hits her and he goes, I didn't hit you. <laughs> the cat says, I didn't hit you, but I'll take you where you need to go. It's just crazy. Yeah, there's so much is happening to her in such a short time. It's, I can see where it's real-time trauma response, just like trying to make mm-hmm. it through. That's exactly that. I <laughs> think that's the strength in this story is that she is responding the way a real person would. Because imagine being mugged and like, kind of stumbling into the street and you immediately get hit by a car. I would just be like, well, I'm just going to lie here now. Yeah, just lay down and be done. <laughs> like I'm done now for the night possibly for the year, but such a New York thing to just be like, I didn't actually hit you. Like, so yeah, we all saw it happen. <laughs> like there's people outside. They all saw it happen. But like, just like that response of just being in such shock that she just gets up and she's like, no, nah, I just got to get home. Like 
Like, I just don't want to be here right now, which I think is really strong. Malloy is such an interesting character because at this point, I'm trying to think at this point in Mark Ruffalo's career, he's known enough. He's not as big as he is now, but I think he still had some films that were known enough. I don't even know. was What year was, um, my God, Zodiac? Was it around this time? Zodiac was 07. Oh, okay, it's later. Okay. Kind of what I remember about Ruffalo was he burst on the scene big time and you can count on me in 2000. Yeah. Which is great. He's great in that movie. I love that movie. Um, And then he was like, I think he was lined up for a lot of projects, but then he got sick and had to yeah. back out of a lot of projects. And I think that almost put his career on ice for a couple of years until Zodiac kind of until he started and the kids are all right. Like he got traction again. And, and then, of course, Marvel. But yeah, yeah, I think he was supposed to be lined up for a bunch of projects. But when he I think he had like a brain tumor, he had to have yeah. around. it took him out for a while. Uh, I think that sort of sidetracked his plans or whatever the Hollywood's plans for him were. Let's put it that way. But yeah, so I, I can't think of what he made in the but that's only a couple of years between this and you can count on me. I mean, I, I know he made a few movies, but yeah, he was in Margaret also. Oh, yeah. I'm He's great in that. Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what year that was. That must have been like early 2000s also. Yeah, because it was filmed a while before it came out too. Maybe mid 2000s, maybe somewhere somewhere around this time, I think. Yeah. Another movie that feels like New York. Another movie that's realistically New York. Yeah, Margaret is a trip. Oh, Margaret. Okay, so it came out in 2011, but obviously would have been filmed before that. Yeah, it was in like legal battles for a long time. I, it was probably filmed in like 04 or 05 or something like that. That's a, that's a very interesting movie too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But his character in this is just so interesting to watch because he's so abrasive and he really does his best to make you not like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even towards, even at the end, I still am just like, I don't like this guy, even if he didn't do it. But then you can kind of see because they, Meg Ryan does such a great role with Franny, you can see why she does like him. And I don't know that it's love, but she does feel some sort of comfort in him, maybe because he's just, she realizes at this point that he was just being his true self and this is who he is and mm-hmm. you're not going to get a change from him. <laughs> yeah. So that that's really interesting. Uh, very complex characters, the both of them. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like the one thing that I was seeing parallel or like the the constant in most of the Jane Campion films I've seen, specifically like the piano, Holy Smoke in this is she seems very mm-hmm. interested in she seems very interested in a sexual relationship when it's there's a power imbalance yep. involved mm-hmm. when one has the upper hand or is supposed to and how what that does. Obviously, that's the piano of big time. And then Holy Smoke is, becomes about that entirely in a way. But yeah, it's, it, that is interesting that she keeps. I like when filmmakers sort of have some people complain when they like do similar things. But I kind of like when they continue to work out a similar oh, same. process or yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think it's I I guess Power of the Dog sort of has that too, maybe. Yeah, but it, it's it's interesting to me. Like I just noticed that and I was like, it's interesting that she keeps going back to uh sort that out, like what that how that affects the rest of a relationship or the rest of a mm-hmm. life, sort of. So yeah, yeah. That's interesting to me. No, I love that too. I love when directors are like and director writers, especially who are like, I have one thing I'm really interested in and I'm gonna <laughs> explore it. So I I talked about that in my Bergman series where Bergman has like two to three things he likes to talk about and he's done like 50 movies about it. Yeah. (laughs) But he does it well. It's like, if I know one thing really well, I might as well keep doing it. You can just write different stories about it. So I like that this is a very specific thing that she's interested in and you do see it. But then all the films are super different. 
right. there is that similarity throughout. So I really like that. And then when this book came out, it was a pretty big hit because it was abrasive and it's written by a woman, Susanna Moore, who had been writing a bunch of stuff, but she was being labeled as like a female writer and she felt boxed in by that. So she wanted to write a noir thriller specifically. And she'd been working at women's shelters and different centers, addiction centers, and seeing the violence that was, you know, happening to all these women. So use that as inspiration for this book. She was like, I just want to write something that's really honest about like the sense of, you know, powerlessness and that the fact that there's really nothing that these characters can do. There's nothing that Meg Ryan could have done differently to change a situation. Uh, and there's nothing that Pauline could have done differently to change the situation. So, and I like that she wrote this along with Campion. So you still have her voice in that. And I think that's what makes it. I haven't read the book yet. I know that there is a slightly different ending. I know what the ending is. So I don't want to spoil it for people, but I am interested to read the book because I, I wonder how abrasive it is. Yeah. I heard what the ending was. I won't say it, but uh, that's just like, I mean, it fits with the. <laughs> the yeah. bleak view of the bleak view of this movie almost it's like yeah that is an interesting I, i'd be curious to read that book too and just see what the differences are see if it if they managed to capture the uh, my guess would be they captured the feeling well because this like when i think about campion movies i think about usually the ones that are beautifully set in like a a vista or like the you know the plains the fields you know like yeah. or the edge of the earth like the piano or you know like she's so good at filming landscape that's the word i'm looking for that it's interesting that she's they she does such a i mean it's really cool that she does such a good job convincing job in a city setting giving it this gritty real life feel uh but yes it is very foreboding at times and it is sad like you're saying about they can't change their circumstance you do get a weird feeling watching this like a sad feeling like they're just living their lives and but it's bad stuff's going to happen to them and you can't help, you know, they, nothing they, they can do to help themselves really. It's just yeah. really depressing to think about. I especially felt for Pauline. We haven't talked about, we've kind of danced around her ending, but throughout Pauline is talking about this man that she's seeing and the man is unavailable, but they're still seeing each other. You get an uneasy feeling about it. And so you can see that Franny is just trying to, you know, not tell her not to be with this man, but doesn't trust the situation. And she comes to a very unfortunate end. It's a very gruesome that Franny walks in on of just, she literally is decapitated. And it's very shocking, especially because at this point, at this point, there's so much happening to Franny that not that, not that I forgot about Pauline, but I just wasn't expecting anything to happen to her. Yeah. Well, in that scene, it is weird because it's just like, just another shitty day for Franny and she's going home. She's just like, yeah, okay, I'm going home to the my sister's crappy apartment above the the strip <laughs> club, which is uh the front man is Patrice O'Neill. That mm -hmm. that's great. He's so good in it too. I was like, oh, there's, he's got a good little part there. She's it's just her going home for the day. Like, okay, well, things have been crappy again today. And then she goes upstairs and it's like she wants Malloy Ruffalo's character to explain to her what happened. But then of course he doesn't have tact. He gives her the most gruesome rundown of what happened to her sister. It's just like, yeah, I mean, she said she wanted to hear it, but it, I don't know. I was just like the way he said it. I was like, don't you don't have to get this because it makes it so much more upsetting when he describes it. You're just like, oh, my gosh. But yeah, zero filter, zero filter. Yeah, there are like there's not many moments in the movie. It kind of reminds me of seven in this way there. You don't see murders happening. 
you see aftermath a few times and it is like very grisly and upsetting and it's graphic but just in like short bursts and never yeah while it's not like about the murder it's more like what the murder you know aftermath so that kind of reminded me of that seven in that way the way it's yeah handles the murder stuff yeah because we never actually see any real violence which is the right choice i think yeah because then it becomes into it is labeled as a thriller and there is thriller aspects to it but it's not supposed to be a horror also yeah the horror is just the life that they're living (laughs) unfortunately just what's happening every day yeah we've talked about new york this is a new york film and the book was set and written in the 90s but by the time this was made this is released in 2003 so it would have been filmed 2001 2002 so this is essentially a post 9-11 new york and i think that you can very much feel it in this film because everyone's very sluggish in this and everyone Mm -hmm. there's like a depression running through the air it is a very grimy new york and i don't think it's griming it up i think that anyone who's been to new york can know that it's a great city but it's also kind of (laughs) gross like it's really gross and dirty and i hadn't thought about that until i read someone say this is like a post 9-11 new york film i was like okay yes i can i can feel that in the air i don't know if you did watching it well there's i did and there's not especially because they're so like they're in like lower new york lower manhattan like chinatown and Mm -hmm. those areas like the areas around the bridges so that feels even more like because of how close it is to batter- the battery. But there is that one shot that I caught that I never noticed. I didn't notice the first time I saw it, but um, I think it's she's coming up the subway stairs and they just cut to a shot of an American flag hanging on a building. And that that was like I was like, that makes sense. That's giving it this 9-11 post 9-11 feel. Yeah, you can just tell that's why the flag was there. I'm not sure what the, what it was about it, but something about it. You're like, this is like a 9-11 response. Uh, yeah, I do feel that. And I didn't think about the sluggishness of like, or the way people are responding, but that does add up why. Yeah, there's less excitement for day to day life. Everybody just feels like they're trudging through the motions kind of like, all right, here we go. Yeah, but that I mean, I that makes total sense to me that it would be kind of that that post 9-11 story. I just noticed it, especially on this watch where even the background actors, everyone just seems like they're like, just drained from yeah. life and i assume it was summer but it didn't look like it was like super hot summer but it just seemed like it wasn't a good time for anyone i just i was gonna ask you something i thought about one thing when we were talking about pauline and i forgot to ask i think it's interesting that the movie starts with pauline at the very beginning did you know like i just i don't know what i think of that i just thought that was interesting that they, the first image we see is pauline with the pedal shower yeah. Interestingly enough, it's Jennifer Jason Lee's second Pauline. I was like, I've heard, I know she's been called Pauline before. It was uh, Margot at the wedding. She was Pauline also. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but I, it's just a, I knew I'd seen, I was like, I know she's played Pauline before and I looked it up. But uh, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting that they start the film on her in that pedal shower. And I don't even know what I think that means, but it's just interesting. That... I did find that interesting too. And I especially was like, did they shoot this? Was this like an afterthought? Not in a bad way but was this to be kind of give her character some sort of even though it's not really a happy ending but so you can kind of see the innocence of this character and the beauty Mm -hmm. of the character because she really is having a rough time throughout and she just is very sad and depressed for most of it apart from when she's spending time with her sister but most of it she's kind of just sad about the man she's seeing and she's in this weird apartment and having to go to we court for restraining yeah. order yeah <laughs> a lot of bad stuff i hope that maybe it was just like the thought of giving her some sort of levity 
yeah in be, the yeah. film so that maybe when you rewatch it you're like oh, okay <laughs> yeah right you know, she does have a happiness you know happy moment yeah. at some point at least they gave her life. something yeah 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 but it, it is interesting opening i do like that opening a lot i think mm-hmm. it's it's good and it's good to contrast for the rest of the film oh, one of the last things i want to talk about was now getting into the last scene when at this point she thinks that Malloy's done it because he has her charm that was at her sister's place in his pocket because he's a creep like he's so weird <laughs> sometimes some of the choices he made i was like what are you doing man and he's being so sketchy about the response to it and she essentially at this moment she's calculating how do i get out of this situation and how do i get to the cops to say that he's the one who done, did it he, she ties him to a pole she has sex with him because she knows that'll get him to just relax a bit mm-hmm. and after that she leaves and keeps him chained to the, the pipe in her apartment and she comes across rodriguez who at this point realizes she's too far deep in it and he needs to get rid of her and he brings it to the lighthouse and they have their showdown essentially at that point, I just was like, well, she's done for. Like, I don't know how she's going to make it out of this, forgetting that she had t- taken Malloy's gun. So yeah. there's that. And then I want to get into the the very final shot of this film. But how do you feel about that that ending? Because that's when it sort of really becomes that thriller aspect in those like 10 minutes of the film, where yeah. there's a very different shift in tone. It, it is interesting, like the way he responds to her finding the charms in her pocket his pocket is so sketchy. He's like, Oh oh, oh, yeah, I meant to give those to you. Uh, I found them. Like he just seems like such a, like he's lying. I mean, it's so obvious. You're just like, okay, well he did it. I mean, that's it. And so you're on board with her. And then, yeah, when she gets in with Rodriguez and he takes her so far away to the lighthouse. Cause like, I didn't know where it was. So I looked it up. It's like above Harlem. It's like all the way up. Oh, the George Washington bridge. Like he, he drives her the length of Manhattan to the, to the lighthouse, which also begs the question how she gets home. I guess we're supposed to assume one of the cars does pick her up eventually and takes her all the way across Manhattan. But but yeah, that is and it is kind of clever the way she's like puts on the coat because she's cold, has the gun. I That is and that's weird when he's like, it's so weird, like he closes the gate, locks it. And then he kind of like lets her roam around free. He's like, we're both in here. You're in here. You're going to stay here for several days because people know that I left like he's not. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird how she has freedom in the lighthouse, but not really. She can yeah. wander around by herself. He's like offering her wine and stuff. And he's like, yeah, sorry. Don't cry. I mean, you're going to be here a few days and I'll come back and kill you. It's like, oh, my God. Um, And <laughs> I, I think that laugh, they but... No, Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, I, I think the way they they do it is good because it like you said, it doesn't have to, they have to amp things up a little bit in that moment, mm-hmm. but it doesn't become too over melodramatic or like too, it feels kind of in line with how things are happening in the movie. The only thing that doesn't is the second gunshot and then the shot of him above her with the, that feels like another movie <laughs> kind of like, oh, there was another gunshot. Oh, she did kill him. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets to crawl out from underneath him. I don't know. That felt a little like more standard thriller for me, but uh, I do like the shot of her coming back. And then, well, you see, you want to talk about the final shot, but I, yeah, I thought it was interesting the way that they, uh, when they do have to amp it up for the thriller genre to, to wrap things up. It, I do, I did like the way they did. And I thought that scene with her in the lighthouse with, with Rodriguez, they both did a good job acting those scenes. I felt like it was realistic. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I also thought the second shot was weird too, both times. (laughs) And I'm like, maybe this is a studio interference where they're like, well, people need to know that he died. So we have to Feels add that, that way. second shot. <laughs> yep, definitely feels that way. 
those uh those studios always thinking people are stupid yeah <laughs> but the the final shot when she gets back into her apartment Lloyd's on the ground because at this point he's been tied up there for however long he's been tied up the first time i watched this i was like okay well he's tied up there so he's obviously peed himself and that's why all the water is there but i was like is it that or is it did he like break a part of the pipe and that's leaking. I still think because the movie's so gross a lot of the times that it is just his urine and then she's just lying next to his urine. That's how I was like, she would end the movie this way. I don't know how you feel. Because then I was doubting myself afterwards. I thought it was the pipe. But um, yeah. <laughs> but that's funny to think about that. I mean, I don't, maybe, you never know. I mean, you never know because it is kind maybe of a, both. a grimy. Maybe it's both. Yeah. Either way, it's weird that she lays down in the water. She didn't have to do that, but yeah, or the, whatever the liquid is, she had, didn't have to lay in it. But that is funny to think about, though, that maybe it was because you know what? If he had busted the pipe open, he probably wouldn't be there anymore. So yeah. he would have been able to get the handcuff off. So maybe he did pee himself. That's what I thought because I was like, he would have, you know, been unless it didn't fully break, just a part of it broke, and like it's leaking that way. And it's probably what it is. But the first time I was like, <laughs> oh my god, she went through all that, and now she's lying in his urine. With him. And that is so much pee. That'd be so much pee. Yeah. That'd be a lot of pee. <laughs> that's a huge problem. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's definitely, I feel like there's a mix of both because <laughs> yeah. no way he's holding it in that long. A little from column A, a little from column B. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a great ending to the film. And uh, I don't think you can really end it any, despite the fact that we both said, yeah, the ending in the book is different. But I think it works for this film. At least for me, it does. They'll have their, they'll continue on having their strange relationship where they just continue to circle each other, (laughs) like try to feel each other out and then occasionally get too aggressive and then occasionally find themselves on the same wavelength. It's just, there's a mixture of, but I was interested, like I did not, I was thinking that, so she, she handcuffs him to the chair, to the pipe. Mm -hmm. She has sex with him. I thought I had the, maybe I had the order wrong. I thought that she found the charm after, like I thought she wanted to do that. And then she got scared or did she know it was him before? And then she was just trying to calm him down. Like you said, I may have that. I was trying, I couldn't remember the order. So I, I'm a, I was wondering what her motivation was with the sex part. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe she was trying to just like keep him calm. I didn't think about that. I thought she like kind of wanted to have sex with him, but then, then found out. I'm not sure. It's weird though. Like either way, it's, it's an interesting choice either way. However, they did it. She might have found the charm after, though. Now I'm like dating myself on that. I can't remember which, but I think it's a mix of both. Either, yeah, way, you're right. I think uh, yeah, she still thought it was him, and she was just trying to. She still, I think, she did want to have sex yeah. with him. And the tattoo, she she definitely thinks it's him because of the tattoo, and all yeah, that stuff. exactly. Yeah. She's thinking yeah. it the whole time, really, like in the back of her head the whole time. She's like, like well, <laughs> and then there's that one scene after Pauline's dead where he, he's like, "I have the key, I can get back in." She goes, "Did you kill?" <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, get her out of here. He's just so done with her at that point. He's like, get her out of here. <laughs> I like how she just keeps asking him outright. Mm, yeah, she really does. Like, yeah, he's like, I've never been to that club. And she's like, swear you weren't there. Like, she's just so, <laughs> so accusatory of him. And he's like, I just didn't do it. And she's like, OK, but you did, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really don't blame her because he's being mm-hmm. so sketched the whole time. Yeah, he's not reassuring at all. Yeah. No, Mm-mm. like, you know, maybe change your tactic a bit if you want <laughs> to make her believe for even one second that it wasn't yeah. you. Um, are there any of the parts of the film that we haven't covered that you want to chat about? Kesara opens the movie that reminds me of Heather's. Yes. <laughs> the the um, classic Kesara beginning. 
Uh, there were just some good, like some of the lines, like you were talking about the writing earlier. I just like some of the way the lines are written, especially the conversations between uh, Pauline and Franny. Like uh, mm-hmm. early in the movie when they're first walking together and she's like, Franny or uh, Pauline goes, are you happy when you wake up? And Franny goes, no. Then they just move on to a different topic. Like it's just some of those. Yeah. And when he when he says that his line that I won't repeat about uh, women giving uh, oral sex. Uh, I already said blowjob this thing. I don't know why I'm being yeah. weird now. But anyway, <laughs> when he says that line about and then she says she repeats the line like she's upset. She's drunk. She goes, mm-hmm. oh, that's a good phrase. Sense of C word. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's I just think it's interesting how she she's still always kind of in that mode of a writer or English. I like I like the detail of how she has those little words all over her door and like the magnetized words mm-hmm. that, like my roommate used to have where you could like make sentences out of them on the fridge. That is an interesting detail because she would be the kind of person who would have, you know, words everywhere. And it's you know, like you said, she writes down on the on the post-it notes all the phrases she like. I like that they include that detail of her noticing phrases in everyday life that she's like, oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's just it makes it kind of adds for a fuller character. It does. I think it's a really good choice to do that. Because you're mm-hmm. like, you have to remember that this woman does have a job and a life outside of what's happening. Yeah. Right in this moment. Yeah. And then there, there's one line she says where I don't think memory is very reliable. It's when she's in the getting questioned in the police station. They're like, do you think you have a good memory? And she's like, I don't think memory is very reliable. There's just a lot of good lines in this movie, like mm-hmm. interesting lines that make you think. The last thing I would say that I think is weird is that they released this movie on Halloween. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. And that like almost sinks it even further because it's not. If the I can imagine, I haven't seen the trailer. I imagine I know exactly what the trailer is. They make it look like so. Oh, yeah. She only has one chance to fight for her life. That sort of thing. And then, like, <laughs> coming Halloween. And then people go see it and expect a, a horror movie with, a, like, a guy cutting people. And it's, that's not, I mean, that's that's not what's in the movie. <laughs> it's sort of what it's about, but it's not in the movie. So I imagine that didn't help either, the Halloween release date of 2000. Yeah, the poster, too, because I always remembered seeing the poster and thinking it was, like, a horror thriller yeah just with that like red font and kind of see like half her face type mm-hmm. of deal that you would have seen a lot in that time halloween's an interesting choice <laughs> release yeah, date yeah. for this one i don't know when the right time is to release this movie but i i, I almost think like valentine's day would be funny yeah actually <laughs> yeah yeah i like that too they missed the boat doing that on they should have done that for gone girl also <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> So I didn't notice the first time I watched it because I didn't know where the movie was going. The second time mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of lighthouse imagery throughout the movie. Yeah. The the book they're reading or the poem they're reading in class. And then there's a red lighthouse on the the police desk, uh, which now that I think okay. about it would be Rodriguez's desk. So that makes sense why he'd have it. Actually, that's stupid of him to have a red lighthouse on yeah. his desk. <laughs> what does he do? He's like telegraphing for everybody what's going to happen. That word disarticulated. Mm-hmm. They, they bring them when he's trying to describe what happened to her. Something about that word gives me the creeps. Like it's yeah. a good. I'm glad they chose that to describe it because it it just fits in somehow. It fits like a puzzle piece with the rest of the movie. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. That it's a complicated, weird word. Yeah, yeah. I think just the the writing is. I know we've been saying this, but the writing is really strong in this yeah. movie. That really elevates everyone else's you know, performances and the look of the film. I love that aspect that's running through the film. But yeah. I, I didn't even notice the lighthouse on his desk. I'd have to see it now. The next time I watch it, I'll definitely be like, okay, there it is. Yeah, it's like a real quick shot at the very beginning when she's about to look at all the pictures of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a quick shot. I was like, I mean, I just, I don't know why I didn't think about it at the time. I was like, that's really dumb of him to have a lighthouse on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. He's not the smartest. 
No, no. Well, I think that's in the cut. I think we covered it pretty well. I'm going to move to the last portion of the show, which we'll still talk about in the cut a bit and Jane Campion, but same questions I ask everyone. And the first one is uh, the starter film question. So I know you've seen a good number of her films because I think you said you saw five, but she didn't have that many. Like she's got a good, maybe I want to say like 10 features at this point and quite a few shorts, but so five is a good number to have seen. So if someone were to ask you for a recommendation on where to start in her filmography, what film would you recommend and what what's the reasoning behind that? I would say, I think I would say the piano just because I want yeah. I want somebody to start with like a undeniably great movie that like you almost yeah. can't dislike. Um, I, I guess people do dislike the piano, but I don't know them and I don't want to know them, but, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's good. And I feel like it's just a good encapsulation of a lot of themes. She revisits a lot and it's got a great female protagonist, which is important to a, camp- a lot of Campion's films. And it's just beautiful and like very involving and like, it just sweeps you up in a way that a lot of movies don't. And I guess maybe because it's personally the one that got me into it, maybe that's why I pick it. But I just think like, I specifically would not pick this one to get into. <laughs> and I don't, I would not pick Holy Smoke either. I would pick one that's uh, accessible seems like a, not a complimentary word, but it, I don't even know. It's just, I think it's maybe like the reach of it can, it's mm-hmm. got more, it doesn't even have broad appeal. Everything I'm saying sounds like an insult. It's a movie that more <laughs> like everyone will love. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I think it's a good way to get into uh, her aesthetic and the way she likes to make films and her rhythm. I think that's the best way to put it. I think when I'm usually recommending a film, if someone specifically wants to look watch a film from a specific director, I'm like, what is going to show you exactly what they have to offer? And yes, they might do other things throughout their career, but this is the exact, you know, when you think of Jane Campion, you always think of the piano. And that's what I would recommend too, because from there, Again, I think it would be really difficult for someone not to like the piano. And then I, I just don't know what you wouldn't like about the piano. But then yeah. something like in the cut, it's like, I think you need to have watched a couple before you get into in the yeah. cut. Holy smoke. You should be able to, you can start, depending on the person, you can start anywhere. But I'd always recommend the piano, I think. The one that I wanted to watch that I didn't get a chance to watch was Bright Star. I've never seen it. And I've heard great things. Yeah. Great. Okay. I need to watch. Yeah. It. I might watch it tonight. <laughs> That's the second one I would recommend to go okay. from there. I think that you'd like it a lot. It shocked me because it had been on my list for so long and I eventually got around to it. Not even that long ago, I did it for prep. I'm not covering it, but I wanted to watch the ones I hadn't seen. And Bright Star, I was like, oh my God. It's so heartbreaking, but so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, I got to watch I it. I think you'll like it a lot. It was so good. It's just so well-performed and like then you get back to like the beautiful landscape <laughs> campion and not the grimy yeah. uh campion so yeah <laughs> yeah that would be my second recommendation after the piano that's a great yeah. one i'm excited to see it second question is a double bill and you can you can give me more than one film uh if you want to but if you're going to pair this film with another film to create a double bill which film would you pair it with and what's the reasoning behind that pairing okay so my triple bill is in the cut and because i like because i want a a detective story that takes its time and is not solely all the time about the detective uh aspect or the crime aspect the long goodbye robert altman's the long goodbye Mm. i like i feel like they're cousins in the way that they 
have prickly protagonists who are sort of fumbling their way through a bad situation yeah. is, I guess, how I'd put that. And then the third movie I'd have is Bound. Okay. The reason why is because I feel like they're sort of cousins in the sense of having sex scenes that are from the female perspective, mm-hmm. not, even though, yeah, they're from, they're basically, they don't feel like they're from the male gaze, really. They're, they're, yeah. um, yeah, I'm trying to think the right way to say it. They're just very uh, in tune with, I would say, the emotionality of what's happening in the sex. And like, the. it's just very, I feel like they're kind of beautiful sex scenes in a way. And they're not, um, they're not supposed to be like overly, like the basic instinct style, like titillation and things like that. They're, they're they serve the story and they're, uh, they're just interesting in a way that most aren't, especially from Hollywood movies. So mm-hmm. that's sort of how I would tie those all together, I think. No, I think that's great. I hadn't even thought of the long goodbye, but when you said it, I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, hundred percent. I'm a big Altman guy. That yeah, that one. I love that movie so much. Yeah, same. I like Altman. I obviously love Elliot Gould. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm always pro the long goodbye. I remember, I rewatched it last year and I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I was like, oh man, this movie is just so good. So good. Um, yeah. The ones that I would pair it with, and I've. I've used this pairing before for another film, but it's still kind of fitting for this one, which is uh, Richard Brooks looking for Mr. Goodbar with Diane Keaton. Betta, she's also a teacher and she lives a bit of a risky life. And I, I can't imagine that they didn't watch that film as inspiration as well for this, because that's also based on the true story of that one. Uh, it's very, it's also a New York film. It's dark. But there's moments of levity, but then it gets real serious and it's a really great. I think you'd like it a lot. Actually, I've never seen it. I've heard of it, but uh, yeah, I need to watch that one, too. It's really good. It it parallels really well with this one. They both kind of very similar characters who obviously missing something why they're putting themselves or they end up in these situations that are not ones that you would expect them to be in. Yeah. So I think those would be. And then I thought of another one. Which is a film that is quite traumatic for me. And I don't know that I'd want to watch this double bill. But if you're looking for like a trauma session for some reason, <laughs> I'd recommend Fat Girl, which is Catherine Brea and the French film. And it's very dark and just shows, again, it's different violence towards women. It's not very overt. It's not always physical, but just like, the depths of like verbal violence towards people and just the lens of being told through the eyes of a woman mm-hmm. is very interesting. It's a hard movie to watch. I'd say it's much harder than in the cut to watch because it involves a younger girl and you just feel really bad for it. So I would not want to do that double bill myself, but mm-hmm. others might be into that type of vibe. So those would be yeah. the ones I'd recommend for that. I've heard of Fat Girl. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Um, I remember it had like really good reviews when it came out. And I've it's always been sort of on my radar. But yeah, I, I still haven't seen it. I think it's maybe on Criterion. I'll, I'll have to look at it. It is. Yeah. I don't know if it's still on the channel. I think it is actually. I know it's a release, a Criterion release. It's like an yeah. early one. And it was on the channel for a long time because every time it would sometimes come up on the feed and I'd be like, oh, God. stop recommending this to me (laughs) yeah i was like i've seen it i'm good (laughs) i'm good um yeah so those would be the ones but scott thank you so much for joining me for in the cut i I thought we had a great discussion i really appreciate it 
Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. I, I'm glad I got to see it again and always happy to talk movies. So yeah, this has been great. Seeing Faces in Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney with intro music by The Mind Walker. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode on The Power of the Dog.